dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the professor, the writer, jamartisby.substack.com, Mr. Blue Check verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, bro, we are leveling up. Here we are back again in the studio at St. Stephen Church. Shout yes, out to the St. Stephen family for the use of these beautiful facilities, which Absolutely you can see. Incredible. If you're a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. Okay, so Ali has had a whole conversation about this. It's not forward slash, it's a slash. I'm going to see slash. Well, see, I borrowed the forward slash from you, but well, okay. Well, I, from me, I borrowed it from you. I didn't say that. Didn't hey, okay, so uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash pass the mic. There we go. But, I mean, by the time this is released, we may have released them on YouTube, so you may be able to get on YouTube, too. Look at that. At The Witness, a black Christian collective, you know, I don't know. So we'll see. You'll just have to stay nimble, stay agile, stay flexible. Keep up with us. Okay, so Jamar, I talk about this um, all the time, but it was really heartening for me as a Pentecostal that uh, yesterday it was such a, a moving moment for me, honestly, to see and hear you speak in tongues at dinner. <laughs> and I was really moved by that. Um, Here we go. I give the tongues a solid uh, C minus. <laughs> I give it a solid C minus. Oh, it's a lot go. of room for improvement on your on your endeavor to make me Pentecostal. It, but 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 it was a step, right? There was an attempt, an attempt was made. I've, no, go I ahead. felt the spirit coming on. Okay. Ali was about to prophesy over you. And I you knew just it was did coming. Something. You just did. It was, it just, it just, no he jerked, to he jerked too. It was a quickening. For those of you who know, it was it was a little bit of a quickening. Uh, but you know, I always talk about being Pentecostal and some of the greatest experiences, and really where I actually had a my first Pentecostal experience was in a large conference setting. Huh. And so um I had my first not my first experience, but the first experience for myself. Sure. Right. So that was in Azusa conference when I was thirteen years old. Exactly. And um, you know, received at that time what I considered to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Bishop Carlton Pearson was uh preaching. He was oh. one of the foremost influences in my life at that time. Uh, Bishop Pearson was the first person to prophesy over me. You know, uh, my mind. it would have probably likely been, if Azusa continued, um, a mentor and mm. a someone who shaped me. I would have probably gone on the road with him, like all kinds of different things. You know, it's deep just like it. yes. very deep in it. And um, so there were those conferences that are near and dear memories to me. And it's so fascinating how in non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic circles, Conferences are very important to the shaping of your faith. And another conference that we used to always go to uh, was Manpower, right? So the men used to go to Manpower Conference with Bishop Jakes. So it'd be, you know, 20,000, 30,000 men in the Superdome or wherever. And then the women had one as well, which was far and away more popular. (laughs) And actually at one point broke attendance records in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Yeah. Not small venues. Huge venues actually broke attendance records. And that is, of course, Woman Woman Thou Thou Art Art Loose. Loose. The Woman Thou Art Loose Conference. And so the Woman Thou Art Loose Conference started, I believe it was in 1996. Okay. And so it, it had about 25 years of a run. And it started out of, I believe it's at the Georgia World Congress Center. 
And it started out of Bible studies that T.D. Jakes was having. Obviously, it's based on this idea um, and story in Luke 13, where Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath and says, you know, woman, you are loose. Thou art loose from your infirmity. And it was fascinating because there are very stark divides about woman, thou art loose, what it means, Mm. what it means for women, what it means for men, (laughs) what it means for this particular man and Bishop Jakes. Um, for patriarchy, for misogyny, all kinds of different things. So there's lots of layers at work here. But a lot of the experience of why women in our church, even my mother, uh, people around were very excited about Woman Thou Art Loose is because it platformed uh, diverse women speakers huh. and sometimes diversity to a fault, right? Oh, so, really? <laughs> so for example, right, uh, Paula White, Pastor Paula White, she received her cosign from Bishop Jakes through events like Woman Thou Art Loose. Wow. And so why is Pastor Paula White a viable known name in black church circles, in multi-ethnic church circles? Why was she able to take over a church from a black man who passed away wow. and essentially swoop it and scoop it away from his wife who was supposed to take over? Why was all that possible? Well, because she had a Bishop Jake's cosign mm. and she was calling Bishop Jake's daddy and things like mm. that, right? Um, other women that were very popular, Prophetess Juanita Bynum, mm. uh, uh, Pastor Jackie McCullough, uh, Jasmine Scalark, um, Darlene Bishop, all kinds of diverse speakers and artists. That was the stage that you were supposed yeah. to arrive on, yeah. get to. But it was also the stage where you find out who was the next big thing. Okay. Now, it shifted over the course of time, but Woman Thou Art Loose was very popular, not just for women and black women and black Pentecostal women. It was really a, a tone setter and a trendsetter in the black church. Sure. So I just okay. had to give that. Give, in give terms that. of like the conference. Exactly. Field, the, the conference field, but also who were the the prominent voices. Right. Okay. So when Prophetess Bynum does no more sheets at Woman That Loose, she her popularity explodes. Whoa. Yeah. And it skyrockets because she has a Bishop Jake's cosign. Yeah. And now Prophetess Juanita Bynum is a household name in black churches. People know of her. Um, it was the same thing for uh, Pastor Jackie McCullough. It was the same thing for um, uh, Pastor Cheryl Brady, you know, it's the same thing for these women who were given opportunities. And then eventually Pastor Sarah Jakes Roberts as well. Uh, Of course. So, uh, Bishop Jakes and Pastor Sarita Jakes have a daughter named Sarah Jakes Roberts. And she has this tremendous testimony, but has built this mega church platform of her own. Her and her husband, Torre, pastor a church in LA called One Church. And it's a Potter's House connection. And she has built platforms through books, through sermons, Mm. through uh, her voice and her tremendous testimony of getting pregnant at a very young age and being shunned by the church, but then having this powerful redemption story now where the church that she was shunned in, now she preaches in. You know, it's like, why is it really powerful, you know? (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to give that that backstory because I think sometimes people don't understand just how important these conversations and these conferences are for for better or for worse, but for tone setting and trend setting the black church itself. I mean, it's really helpful for me, honestly, because my 
testimony, as you know, is becoming a Christian in white evangelical circles, which it really boggles the mind when we talk about the level of influence that this single conference had, yes. let alone T.D. Jake's expansive ministry, right? But just the Woman Thou Art Loose conference, what massive ripple effects it has among certain communities, Pentecostals, black churches, all of those things. And like you never hear about it in white Christian circles. It, it, it doesn't exist. And it's wild to me because we're not just talking about a localized, obviously Potter's House is based in Dallas. But once again, the conference in its early days was in Atlanta. Then it moved one year to Houston and they had it at Lakewood Church where Joel, Pastor Joel Osteen is a pastor and sold out that venue, which is huge. Mm, then they had, I think it was 2013, they had Oprah and <laughs> she was they sold out. Say no in, more. In Dallas. And, and so it's just like there's so many different, there's so much uh, uh, evolution that happens in the conference game there. But also it really was a shaper of, it was the platform that mainstream celebrities, T.D. Jakes has always cultivated mainstream celebrity uh, space mm. for them to merge over into the church world and marketplace ministers and business people and CEOs and I was at the International Leadership Conference uh, last year, and the new, I believe it's the president of basketball operations at for the Dallas Mavericks, a okay. uh, black woman. You know, she was speaking at the conference. She was Gracious. being interviewed. Yeah. You know, Van Jones was being interviewed. So it's it's that space where people can kind of merge over into church culture and conversations and expand their platforms, but also provide information and empowerment to Black Christian audiences so it's just it's people don't realize how much it set the tone that's right for black church yes. and so last year they announced that they were doing the last the final woman thou art loose conference and it was one of those things that made people that oh, okay that's interesting so end of an era this is pretty significant and okay so what's going to happen next is it just closing down is it just shutting down and at the end of the conference bishop jake's I guess in an impromptu way. I know it was it was planned, it was clearly planned, but there was maybe not fully Pastor Jake's Pastor Sarah Jake's knew it was coming in that way, but he handed the baton over to Pastor Sarah Jake's Roberts and huh. said, Woman Thou Art Loose is now becoming her book title, Woman Evolve. So he passes the baton to her and affirms her in front of the thousands, tens of thousands of women and tens of thousands of people watching, affirms her, says that you'll go further than me. Wow. I can't take it where you can take it. Wow. And it was very moving where she affirms both her and her husband, Torre, Pastor Torre. And there was a lot of reaction to this. Okay. And I think Bishop Jake's and the Jakes family have been lightning rods for black Christian conversation yes. over the course of two decades. And I think it's for a myriad of reasons, right? What's your perception of Bishop Jakes? I'd love to hear this from, from someone who's an outsider. You What's know. your perception? I don't really know. I honestly don't know your perception of Bishop Jakes. So I'd love to hear your, what your perception is. I mean, you've uh, really helped me appreciate the, the depth of his contribution in the late 20th and going into the 21st century, because again, owing to my Christian context, A, the highest insult is just not to mention 
these people at all. Right. You know, to to exist within the body of Christ as if black Christians don't exist unless they come over to where you are. Right. So there's a there's almost a hermetically sealed kind yes, of yes. Christian environment. So in that environment, often did not hear of T.D. Jakes if I did, which because he's he was so exceptionally well known that it even started to penetrate the bubble of, right. of white Christians. Um, but to the extent that he was mentioned, it was as a prosperity preacher, somebody mm-hmm. whose theology couldn't be trusted. Um, there was all this stuff around oneness and, you know, so, so it was, and, and this isn't just of Jake's. It was of a lot of, sort of prominent black Christian leaders all the way down to MLK. There would be some thing about what they believed, the way they believed it, how they ministered to their community that within the white Christian circles that I was a part of never measured up. Right. And of even course. worse than that was probably heretical or, or unhelpful or harmful kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's, it's helpful to hear that because I think there, there is both, he's a lightning rod for all of Christianity, but especially within the black church and black Christian circle. For the early portion of Jake's popularity, I'll say the first decade or so, he was more seen as a sellout. Wow. For a lot of black Christians. Wow. He was seen as the person who would appear on TBN, the person who would peddle prosperity to a lot of people, but then also the person who wouldn't speak out on social issues. And Uh he drastically has evolved and improved on social issues, um, addressing criminal justice, addressing uh, specifically Potter's House has one of the largest ministries to former felons mm. and those who are leaving prison and leaving the penal system and preventing recidivism. And so he's kind of become this massively informed and most people don't get the opportunity to make that evolution and that adjustment, but he has in a lot wow. of ways. He's also become kind of the the person who can navigate and touch a lot of different points of society. So movie producer, you know, uh, TV show host, uh, you know, person who is, who is uh, producing albums and all kinds of things. So he's a lightning rod for a lot of different reasons. And now it seems like he's always in the conversation. There's this conversation about his connection to the shade room. Oh, like that. Now that's a new big topic, right? He's just always in conversation, regardless of if it's true. It's just, People say, oh, it's T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes run the shade room. It's like, what? Like, you think he's preaching sermons and run the shade room? Okay, whatever. But it's like, it's just he's funny, like, right? It's funny, right? It's like, you get to that place where you're so big. Yeah, you become ubiquitous. That you just become ubiquitous in conversation. So this transition is going to be significant. Both the transition of entities like Woman Thou Art Loose and the transition of the Potter's House. And I passed the mic. One of the things I really want us to do well is navigate our own spaces as much publicly as we can huh. to as well as we can, as much as we can navigate for those people who are also in the same space, what we see in our own space, in our own sector of black Christianity. Wow! And I think that's important. It's important for you to see and hear me wrestle with the both the, the complications and the beauty of being Pentecostal. Like to, to, for you to hear and see me wrestle with these people who I respect and admire and also may not understand. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that's, that's part of the complication of faith. And I think one of the things that we've never really talked about on the podcast that I felt like was really 
important to talk about with Pastor uh, Bishop Jakes and Pastor Sarah is this idea of succession. Yes. We got to talk about this because that's a black church sore spot. Well, we got to talk about something else you don't want to talk about, which exactly. is your days as a Star Trek athlete. <laughs> what? Yeah. So, no. what do you y'all, mean? Y'all may not realize it. Tyler's an onion. I mean, there's layers, right? And there's stuff. I wouldn't I'm say I was a star. Still <laughs> finding out about this, brother. You tell me, you know, state rank. You know. I mean, we're state Listen. ranks. Like, we were, we were no joke. Like, so I innocently, we were talking about succession, and of course, it lends itself to the imagery of passing the baton. So I just innocently asked Tyler, were you ever, did you ever run track? And Tyler looks at me like I don't, <laughs> don't have a brain in my head. Don't play with me. And he's like, yeah, I ran track. I was the bomb. Yeah, it was high pitch. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I did go high pitch. Whenever I go high pitch, I'm caught. I'm, uh, for sure. No, so, for sure. I ran but then four, I legit. 100, yeah. 200, 400, 4 by one 4 by 4 long jump, high jump. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Well, so then I was asking, what's the hardest part of the relay? And you're like, oh, for sure, it's passing the baton. Exchange. So what is what makes a good or a bad exchange when you pass it? Timing. Timing. It's always timing. Wow. Because you have a limited the 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 point of the relay is that you have a limited time to legally pass the baton. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, there's a there's an exchange zone. So if you cross the exchange zone, you can no longer pass the baton and still qualify for a finish. So there is a limited time. So you literally have to mark out by steps. Well, this is what we used to do. We used to mark out by steps and put tape on the the line yeah. wherever we would start and how many steps it took us to time when that person was coming in full speed and when we needed to reach our hand back. So typically how it worked is you would mark it out. Once they crossed that line, you would, or once they got into the exchange zone, you would sprint as hard as you possibly okay. can. And then they would yell stick. Yes. Now, better, you know, more oiled machines as you got kind of got older, you wouldn't yell stick because everyone's yelling stick, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so then you would do either the overhand or underhand pass and you just time it out. So when you yell stick, you put your hand back and you trust that he's going to put it right My in your hand goodness. going full speed. Yeah. And we've, we've done it. We've, we've had baton passes where there was one time in, in our regional meet, I think it was my freshman year. I think I might have been in eighth grade. And so I was actually running against a future NFL running back in the lane. So I'm here's a little scrawny me with a high top fade. You know, uh, high I was wondering what the hair looked like. It was high and tight. A little scrawny me. And um, I, I get the third leg. I'm running third leg because I always ran curves. And so I was an expert curve runner. So I was running curves and then I we dropped the baton. The and, and we dropped the baton and we didn't know where it was. We picked oh it up. Gracious. And as soon as we dropped the baton, it was at FSU's track stadium. We dropped the baton. It was like, oh, everybody was like, oh. Everybody, you could hear it. Oh. And that's, that's deflating. From that point on, we I, I vowed to myself, I'm never, we are never dropping the baton ever again. We did. <laughs> we never did. As long as I was there, we never dropped the baton. We're gonna get this. We are timing not, we gonna get right. the timing right. I oh learned the hard way. Gracious, it yeah. was videoed, so I had to I watched the video all off season of dropping the baton in the past. But part of it was if you're if you're not in sync and you're not ready, the pass is going to be fumbled. Yeah. If you're not ready and if you're not communicating clearly, you know, it's going to be fumbled. And I think every good pass of the baton whether it's organizationally, church-wise, in the workplace, in the workforce, whatever it may be, it requires communication and timing. Those are the things. 
Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Can you, can one party redeem a bad baton pass? So in other words, if I'm I hope so. <laughs> so if I'm receiving it, but it's a bad handoff, I can make adjustments and still grab it. It's yeah, not ideal. You can make it. You can make adjustments and still grab it. You may lose a couple of you know milliseconds, tenths of seconds, right? Which can make but, a difference. But which make a huge difference. Yeah. But if you, all it takes is you've seen it. I've seen it in Olympic races where the baton passes have not been clean. It is rare to get clean baton. There's too many factors. Uh. Are you leading? Are you in between two people? Are you in between a pack? Are you behind and you didn't expect to be? And so you're running as fast as you can. And then you got to think, oh, I need to pass a baton. I mean, you're going full speed. Goodness gracious. So, yeah. but if the, the pass may not be clean, but you can still, if you find your stride quick enough, you can still catch whoever you need to catch. Reason I bring it up is because you went through your own succession becoming a pastor. Well, and, and this is interesting. So I, I want to talk about I want to talk about that, but first I feel like we need to talk about something we haven't really talked about yet on the podcast. I think we should, and that's nepotism. Huh. No, I don't think we've talked about that. We should talk about nepotism. Because if you're thinking <laughs> why, why are you looking at me like he's looking like, like let's oh, go with that? this. Oh I was I, thinking of the uh the was it in the New York magazine about the actors and, and right. nepotism in there? Sure. But if you think about it, and and I know this as a PK who's taken over my father's church, that the accusations of nepotism, especially in spaces where your parents mm-hmm. are running something, yeah. that their accusations are all over the place. Right. And let me just be very honest and very self aware. It's partially true. Huh. I know I am not an idiot, and I'm also not arrogant enough to think that my parents and my father have not opened doors for me mm. that I wouldn't have got in other otherwise. I'm not a fool. Like I'm not. I'm not arrogant. Like 100, absolutely. Yeah, that's present. It wasn't just all 100 your own effort. No, like it wasn't. It wasn't my own effort. It wasn't also. The fact that I was, you know, I believe I was competent and I believe that people have affirmed that I'm competent and affirmed that I have gifts, but also skills to navigate church and life and ministry. Uh, but man, I I wouldn't have started. I mean, it's, it's so funny. As we record this, tomorrow is 
13 years in ministry for me. Whoa. 13 years of Bourdain ministry, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. But as I look back on it, I'm like, when I started, zero out of 10 would not recommend. (laughs) No, I probably wasn't. I probably wasn't ready to do things as effectively as I could have done. I was ready to minister. Okay. I don't know if I was ready to live as a minister with a life worth emulating. You know, all these things like this is real. And so when you see that, I understand why some people will look at that and also be triggered that, wow, you're passing it off to your daughter. And there's arguments for, but then there's also this very striking argument of black churches just keep it in the family. Hmm. And so now that's actually motivated me personally to um, work. We're actually in the middle of starting our ministers and training program at the church and to really open up the opportunity for me to oh, pour my life okay. into people who are not part of the pipeline, who are not a part of the lineage, who may even come from different denominations or, you know, be single, be divorced, be all kinds of things yeah. and transfer knowledge to them and affirm their call. While at the same time affirming their right to get education and credentials and affirming that they're going to have a place at our church to use those gifts. That's massive. And, but, but it's, but it's come through a hard look at myself, which is sure. I could, I could easily say, I could easily say, I know this church better than anybody knows this church. <laughs> I could easily say, I know the history. I have institutional memory within this church that nobody knows. I was there at the first service. <laughs> I was carrying chairs in as a three-year-old. Like, come on, like, you know, <laughs> dragging, dragging chairs in, like holding doors open. I was there. But that doesn't mean that I didn't get an unfair leg up based upon the fact that my father plowed the way. Right. And other people won't have that same experience and that same opportunity just because they didn't grow up in a pastor's home. And so being being self-aware of that is important. It's also important to name because we just, you know, we don't always get the chance to name it. Well, it takes a tremendous amount of humility to recognize that. I mean, one thing that you said about the T.D. Jakes handoff to Sarah Jakes Robert was, you'll take this farther than I could, than I did. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, it can feel like a weight and a burden if you're trying to do it all on your own, but it's also an affirmation that leadership often works through seasons. Yeah. That there's seasons where we, because of our unique gifts, skills, experiences, perspectives, are the appropriate one. Yeah. But there's also seasons where where that changes. Yeah. And and it's so hard for folks to let go of being the the person looked at, looked to, uh, you know, calling the shots to voluntarily say, all right, my season is ended. Somebody else can take this further than I. You just even looking at my life and what I've discerned in the spirit, I feel like I have a window. I feel like I have a specific window to pastor in this particular context, in this particular role. Doesn't mean I'll never pastor again. Doesn't mean I won't, you know, do ministry in other contexts because I believe I'll be doing it for the rest of my life, Lord willing. But I, I also believe I have a window. Yeah. And I believe, oh, my window is probably smaller and shorter than what people Most think. People think, yeah. But this is important, Jay. Like, I think it's important for us to acknowledge something that I think the nepotism conversation is important to have, and those of us who have benefited from it should openly have it as best as we possibly can. 
and be, and and also talk about the ways to avoid the pitfalls, like do an official search, write a job description, you know, like yeah. <laughs> do very specific things to make sure that you're vetting the candidates that are best for the church, healthiest for the church, you know, things that I now know that I didn't know back then. But I'll say this, man. When you look at Bishop Jakes and Sarah Jakes Roberts, out of all the things you could say and talk about, I want people to understand that it is so rare and it is so, um, it is such a blessing to experience and witness a peaceful transition. <laughs> a peaceful transition without scandal. Wow. Yes. Is rare. A peaceful transition without bloodshed. A peaceful transition without wrestling and tug of war, which I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Right. But from what we see publicly, there is honor, there is mutual affirmation, there is mutual love, there is acknowledgement, there is even seems like mutual submission, mm. respect. Mm. And that is rare. And it can be chaotic too. Like oh, when you transition and it's not a smooth transition, then there can be a vying for that leadership position among Absolutely. multiple people. So Yeah, and 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 there's something to learn even in that, right? Why do we, you know, we have to be careful of not asking the question, are we supposed to in every case have a top-down leader model? Huh. Where it's just one anointed person at the top rather than a plurality of leadership, which seems to be a, a bit more biblical, <laughs> which may work in seasons, which may work in, it may take time for you to build that and time for you to properly compensate that and all the above. But when we look at it, there's there's hard questions we have to ask. But when it happens, oh, I celebrate it. So well, the, yeah, what was your reaction when you the, saw oh, that? It was a holy moment because our father had the opportunity to publicly honor and affirm his daughter. Mm. And regardless of what you think about uh, Woman Thou Art Loose and the Potter's House and Bishop Jake's, the opportunity for a father to have walked through what they've walked through and a daughter to have walked through what she's walked through and for them to have a moment of mutual admiration and affirmation together mm. public. in public. Yes. Is something that you can never take away. And I was listening to uh, our friends at Truth's Table. They talked about this because they were there. And I believe it was Dr. C said that it was powerful because I know that there were, she said, I know there were thousands of women who didn't have a father to say that, who adopted it as their word. Because he turns to the audience and says, if you've never had a father say this to you, I say it to you now in proxy. And and we know that that's only partial healing. That's not yeah. total healing. But he says, I say this to you, so now adopt this as your word. Wow. And, and it was also sacred because pastoral families are often spaces and places of chaos and unhealed trauma and depression and frustration and anger and uh, sickness and exhaustion and to see flourishing even though i don't know them i don't know them but to see flourishing and to see peace and to see love oh i celebrate it i celebrate y'all can say whatever y'all want to say i celebrate it because and we have to be careful as black church black christians we have to create the conditions for healthy safe holistic open transition 
My transition into the pastorate, lead pastor was chaotic. It was in crisis. It was messy. Yeah. And we've, my father and I have talked about it. He's been on the podcast. Like we've talked about that. Like it was, it was messy. It was, it was fumble. It was a fumbled pass. <laughs> right. And I do a thousand things differently. I think he'd do a hundred things differently. You know, that's my dad. <laughs> he'd probably do a hundred. I'd do a thousand. Right. Like, but at the same time, I don't think people understand how power and the vying for power, even in church, can corrupt even the best of relationships. My gracious. It's the so best of friends, the best of families. Yeah. And part of that is we've allowed church to become something that's unbiblical mm, and more capitalistic. Say it. And then other other parts of that is that's it's just there's a lot of spiritual warfare around church and leadership. There's a lot of spiritual warfare around it. So my hope and my desire is we can celebrate when it's done peacefully, when it's done beautifully, when it's done with affirmation, when it's done with love, when it feels as though from the best that we can possibly see, it's done in a pure heart. And so regardless of what you think about the Jakes, I think that's something to celebrate. And that's something for black Christians to be uh, thoughtful about, insightful about but also to reflect upon and to say, when have I seen this? When have I seen someone passing it over? When have I seen a, a, a man-to-woman transition? Even wow. if it's father-daughter, when have I seen a man-to-woman yeah. transition? Yeah. That, that's what I want. Like That's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, man, if I if God allows and I'm pastoring all nations, Pensacola, I want to turn this over to a black woman one day who's grown up in the house, you know, sharpened herself in the house, learned in the house, ministered in the house, and now can lead the house. I hope I get the chance to do that. Mm. Right? That's a desire. Right. I hope it turn over the witness to a black woman one day. I yeah. love that. Yeah. You know, and notice those things, reflect on those things. Because regardless of your faith and church tradition, there may be something to glean from that. There always is. The <laughs> the peaceful transition of power is something that I think <laughs> Yeah, after January, 6th. even in, even in America, <laughs> I didn't want to go there. But you said even in these yet to be United States, you know, <laughs> something that we value a little bit more highly now that we know how delicate and precarious it is. It is, yeah, and it's and it's. Hey, I hate to say it like that in church too. Yes. So I I celebrate it and I also reflect upon it and the implications of it. And I hope others will as as well, because I think there's something to learn. There's some things to critique. And there's also maybe a, a model for us thinking about how we move forward and peacefully transition over to the next generation. This is wild. And this is going to extend our conversation. But I feel like I should say this, that you recovered a bad handoff well. Not just for your church. Talk about the witness. If I could go back, I would probably do 500 things differently. You do 1,000, I'd do 500, your dad do 100. Um, but at the very least, I wish we would had a longer runway. Mm-hmm. And part of that was external. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gotten this job at the Center for Anti-Racist Research. I had actually pushed back my start date. Um, in order to have a bit longer, but it was still rapid, way too rapid for where we were as an organization, mm-hmm. what we needed at that point. Um, but the way you 
and Allie and then the team you brought together have been able to keep this thing going, you know, two years now past that. Um, I felt confident because we had the right people. We even at that point had more resources than we'd ever had right. before, which right. still wasn't nearly enough, and it's not. So, yeah, we appreciate you. <laughs> um, Donate accordingly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it could have been handled better. Mm. Man, I, I appreciate you saying that publicly. We talked about that. You know, I think I also, you know, she's having the opportunity and the space to, and I think this is the same thing with my father. She's having the space to honor her dad as he should be honored. And we didn't really have that chance for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't really have that chance for you. And, you know, for, for, we can blame COVID and all that, you know, but I think we've, we've talked about honoring someone's service and the years you've had to bear this organization and carry this organization. Um, yeah, man, I think there's a lot we both do differently in that. But it also, think about this. We've recorded how many hours of podcasts together? A lot of mercy. How many years doing this work? How many times we've seen each other? How many times we've had phone conversations, text conversations? And for us, even, it was hard. Yeah. And, and we and were set up about as we were set up well about, you about as well you could be. From a friendship, brotherhood, and, and organization, we have some stuff to still work through. But we were set up about as well as, oh, this is probably just pass it to Tyler. Yeah, it's fine. No, <laughs> like hard. this is hard. It's like it's difficult. <laughs> Very much so. And acknowledging the grief and the loss has been a journey that we've had to walk through professionally, professional help yeah. to walk through. Yeah. Like we've had to walk through it, but I think now we're at the place to where this is a turning point we can acknowledge. We would have done some things differently, but we've both been able to recover and develop and learn and grow and also still do the work. Do the work, yeah. And not allow the work to take a back seat to our own And authentically, too. Yeah. It's not like, hey, we're present, like, like, let's just put on the happy face for the show, and then as soon as the camera's and the light's off, we're, like, nah, at each other's that's throats. That's my brother. That's not it. No, that's my brother. So, it, like I said, I really felt confident that we had the people in place that would take the witness further than I could take it. It was at a season where it could grow. It could, it could yeah. move in different ways in different directions. Your vision has always been integral to it even if people didn't realize it when you were vice president. I mean, I never made any significant move without conversations with you. And then the team you've been able to assemble, uh, Bria and Ryan and Ali and Zena and everybody, just phenomenal folks. Nah, the, right? Darren, like, Sam, Bria, Ryan, Ali, those are the people. You know? Those are people. But, but that's also helped me to see, oh, okay, like, probably shouldn't bottleneck this. <laughs> get out the way. I probably should get out the way. <laughs> On a lot of these things, right? I think that's the... See, this is what people don't understand. And I honor you for bringing that up because that's what we've had to navigate and people don't understand what other people have to navigate right. behind the scenes. It's a lot of moving And then parts. we didn't even have money. So think about money involved anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, then it really then gets it really real. Then And then the money starts going around. You're like, ah, you know. But. So, I mean, I don't want to present it as if it's like a done deal. Like no. transitions take time. 
we're still figuring it out because I'm still involved with the podcast. Um, I'm still around all the witness yeah. folks, right? It's not like I went and retired on, to Bali or something. Right? Like, <laughs> he asked. He tried. He's like, give me a little something to go to, go to. No severance. <laughs> give me a little something. <laughs> give me a little something to go to Legos. Give me a little something. Uh, like, nothing. No, nothing. Not. No golden parachute. We got it. <laughs> they gave me a Pez dispenser and said, hey, hey, hey. You hey, know, hey, happy. hey. No, we gave uh, you some monogram witness stuff. <laughs> we gave you a mug, a shirt. Uh, no, nah, nah, but it was, it was it's just amazing because now I'm in a position to where I feel genuine pride and anticipation, yeah. right? So proud of what you and the team are able to do, the way you've kept it going, and with a sense of ant- anticipation and expectation because I know there's more to come yeah. and there's more in you all. Um, Amen. So just thankful for that. Talking about succession. Amen, bro. This is good. It's good.